there is a poem of Shirobindo, very small poem, God. He says, O thou who pervadest all the worlds below, yet sittest above, master of all who work and rule and know, servant of love, thou who disdainest not the warm to be, nor even the clod, therefore we know by that humility that thou art God. It's very strange and interesting when this dialogue on science and spirituality, or whatever it is, technology and yoga and technical yoga was going on, uh, a vision was flashing constantly into my mind, which I wish to share maybe 100 years back. Uh, Shirobindo and the mother doing the integral yoga with no email and internet access, with no Bluetooth technology, uh, with a fan which uh, initially, you know, uh, had to be actually had to be fan, if at all, you know. Later on, of course, the fan, fan came and much of these works were written uh, under the kerosene lamp and later on a small little table lamp and he says I wrote this for because all this knowledge was pressing upon this was not the main part of the yoga all these works and communicating yoga through that and Shivinder goes on to say that even if I was alone in this world doing this yoga I would go on till I perish or conquer that was the spirit of yoga that is the spirit of yoga Yoga, fortunately, is one of the things not dependent on external technology. And that's really a big grace, because otherwise it would be very difficult for poor little peasant struggling and striving for a livelihood to do yoga. And what was he doing while, you know, in Pondicherry, in a sultry town of Pondicherry? He did not, uh, he called it an evolutionary lab. But it's strange that in the laboratory he did call very erudite scholars and scientists. Uh, with his uh, power of expression and his knowledge, he could have easily impressed and at least gathered a few big fishes in his basket, as Niruddha would call it. And uh, opened maybe, got some funds, released, started a new institute with uh, all kinds of modern technology, recombinant DNA techniques and uh, ways to create a mutant ninja and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, strange and surprising that he called very simple and uh, you know uh, childlike people like us who know very little about these things and uh, when we all, we all, I mean all of us have gathered uh, under her flag, he did not uh, ask us to read a very you know book, he did not refer us to this book or that book. Uh, nor did he send us on deputation to this or that laboratory to do yoga. What was he really doing? What was he wanting us to do? To explore this inner technology of yoga. There is a technology much more fascinating. Shurabindra in one of his poems says, All we have discovered is but mire and trace of the eternal energy in the race. What was the way that he was showing? Uh, speaking of science in one of his poems, I'm sorry, I have this habit of, it just comes naturally, you'll have to forgive me, there will be more and more of poems and less and less of talk. <laughs> <laughs> As one of my 
friends yesterday reminded me, sometimes when you speak, it's like a general speaking poetry. So I would like to be a poet speaking poetry, I'll try. <laughs> so, in his poem, uh, Discoveries of Science, he brings out the way of the yoga. And he says, the same question which we are raising today, how shall ascending nature near her goal? That's the issue. How will this evolutionary salt sleep beyond itself? Shervindu raises this question for us and answers it. How shall ascending nature near her goal? Not through the stumbling, tardy intellect. Patient all forms and powers to dissect, but through the surer vision of his soul. And then he takes a dig, with a wonderful sense of humor. An algebra of mind, a scheme of sense, a symbol language without depth or wings. Conveys really mere nothing. An algebra of mind, a scheme of sense, a symbol language without depth or wings, a power to handle deftly outward things are the scant earnings of our intelligence. A power to handle deftly outward things are the scant earnings of our intelligence. But truth is greater and asks for deeper ways. Here is the sobering thought to reorient us. But truth is greater and asks for deeper ways. What are these deeper ways? It reveals a thought flung free from words deedal maze. We are caught in the words. We have to leap out of thought. We must leap up to sight. But thought nor word can seize eternal truth. In the mind silence the transcendent acts and the hushed heart hears the unuttered word. The thought flung free from the words deedal maze. A tranquil heart in sympathy with all. A will one-pointed, white, imperial. That is the way of the yoga. What is this surer vision of the soul? What is this thought that is not dependent on word? What is this, as he says, a sense that gathers all into its being, a close and intimate touch, a luminous scene. That is the evolutionary journey that we have to undertake. But before we take, undertake this evolutionary journey under the tutelage of our soul, we need to look back a little at the journey which has already taken place. Now when we speak about the soul and the body, I always feel we must be very clear what we are really speaking about that because much confusion comes with terms like the body. The only body we know of is this physical body. And the moment we think of body, we think of cells, especially if it's a stupid scientist like me who has read all about the body, it becomes even more confusing. I can take a very simple example which is so natural and you know, which we everyday practice. We hug someone and say hello. 
Is it the body that we are hugging or the being of the person? Obviously, it's the being. The body is not just the physical apparatus. That is matter. Body is also the feelings and the thoughts that matter has evolved out of itself. It is not just some cellular processes. Well, they are there. But it's also the modes, the energies, the expressions which have arisen using these cellular processes as a conduit. In other words, thought as it is experienced in the body is part of the body which is different from the mind consciousness or the mental consciousness which exists in its own plane. To make it clear, we can just take an everyday example. Uh, when we come out of the body, and every day we experience it, we don't have to be really great yogis to do this, every night, all of us, at least for some time, take a sortie into one of these planes. How does thought function there? It's not the way we think here in this body consciousness. It's very different. How does time function there? How does life function there? How are forms created? What is space there? It's very different from what it is in the body. So when we use the word body, it means the vehicle which carries, in the traditional yoga is regarded as the vehicle. Shivananda gives a new meaning to it. It's the vehicle that carries the passenger, the one passenger who is sitting inside is the soul. But Shirobinda says he is not just the passenger, he is also a kind of a driver. He knows the goal. And another image we can take is that of the cradle and the little child. Soul is the little baby who is sleeping. And as the baby stirs and awakes, something happens to the cradle. The cradle is woven of a strange substance which contains all possibilities in itself. It's a very interesting cradle. It's a fabric of which matter is made. As the Vedas say, there are only two points where there is integral truth. One is in matter, the other is in the highest heights. Both these, in matter, the integral truth is present but concealed. In the highest heights, the integral truth is present and self-revealed. That is the difference. And in matter, this integral truth which is concealed begins to reveal itself step by step, stages by stages, by what process? Not by some chance mutations which may be just a, one of those things which nature can use as processes, but Shurabinda has a beautiful expression to it in Savitri which is really unparalleled. Speaking of the psychic being, he says, passenger from life to life, from form to form. He regards the icon growing by his gaze and in the warm foresees the coming God. And we can have an interesting image. When the little baby is asleep, the cradle is still. It's like more or less like inert matter. When the little baby begins to stir, as we know, you know, baby stir, begins to stir. First thing that happens is the baby is a little bit, they open their eyes, they sleep a lot. And then there is a little bit of stir. So this little stir of the baby, little opening of the eyes begins to awaken in this cradle the force of life. It's an inner process and an outer process. Science talks of the outer process and the mechanism. Yoga is about the inner 
inner process, the inner mechanism. And of course they meet at one point, we'll talk about that maybe subsequently or in one of the discussions. But essentially, as this psychic consciousness, this little spark of the divine which has plunged itself into the crypt of matter, which we all are in our reality, begins to awaken, begins to grow, this little spark begins to coalesce. We see that in the mass of unconsciousness of matter, life is born. Life is hidden inside, it begins to be born, and the little matter begins to crawl and feel and sense and climb and grow and create out of itself. And uh, in the ancient Vedic images, this force of life is a very beautiful name. It's called uh, Vayu Matrishwan. It's the power of expansion and contraction, essentially. Uh, that's why breath symbolizes it most. Breath is born in matter. It develops the power to expand either by creating a being out of, out of itself or simply by the power of growth and it can contract, life can collapse back into death. So that is the function you know, that begins to happen because of the psychic consciousness, because something within matter aspires towards light. And by the very pressure of the psychic consciousness, this possibility awakens. And off it goes, over a period of time, few millennia or millions of years pass, and again, the little child is now nine months old, so he begins to open the eyes and say, Ma, Ma, you know, because it develops a babble. And as the child begins to babble, the mind in matter begins to think. And of course, like all children do, my babble is much more important than all the wisdom of Papa and Mama. What <laughs> do they know? I know it all. So is our mental babble, you know, uh, I wonder sometimes what would the, what would God be feeling? He must be amused. Uh, he has a sense of humor. <laughs> and we discuss with our mental levels. But the child, the basic thing is as the psychic consciousness grows and begins to babble, enters the babbling stage, there is, the mind is born in matter and matter begins to think. But for a long time its thought is still confined to its immediate circuit. Like the little child knows nothing beyond itself. Shirobindo beautifully describes in Savitri, this is the sailor, this is the world sailor on the flow of time. And in the beginning, he stays close to the shore. Goes a little, wants to come back. Yoga is alright, fine, but maybe I hope I am not going to lose my mind. Am I in balance? Is everything fine? Oh, what are people going to think about me? Oh, this fellow thinks I am nuts. <laughs> and you know, all kinds of things like that, thoughts that am I on the right track? Maybe it would have been much better had I led my life like a normal person, you know, <laughs> had a lot of money and, you know, done things for myself. Let me try a little balance, a little bit into yoga and a step forward, two steps behind. This is fine. Most of us would be comfortable with that. And for a long time, man is comfortable with that. Till the little baby is not, you know, happy only with babbles and crawl, he begins to walk. First with a little support and then he walks, stumbles, falls, gets up and walks, begins to run. And as this happens, the mind too begins to climb to other heights. 
it begins to leave the shores of the known and starts peering into the unknown. What is out there? What is out there at the end of the universe? What is in here at the far end of my inner space? And by this evolving psychic consciousness, we see a new modality of uh, awakening taking place in matter. Matter which began to expand and grow and think begins to question itself, begins to discover its own source and that is inevitable. Unconscious yoga or subconscious yoga begins to become a, sub, a conscious yoga in man. Aspiration is born and that is going to happen because that is the inevitable destiny for life and mind. Oh, says, there is a need within the soul of man. The splendors of the surface never sate for life and mind and their glory and debate are the slow prelude to a vaster theme, a preface to the epic supreme. We are too happy reading the preface again and again. Oh, it's a wonderful book. The preface is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and ten times we read the preface and keep the book aside. <laughs> or else, in our impatience, we want to read the last page straight away. <laughs> Fifty years I must get transformed. <laughs> you know, such things happen and uh, I met someone who said, uh, you know, obviously he was in his uh, late 60s and early 70s and he says, oh, I wish that very soon the supramental yoga is completed. I said, why? He said, because don't you see I am green? At least I can become immortal if, you know, there is a thrust. You'll find funny, it's true. You know, there are people who come and say that, well, I am having sleepless nights and I think this yoga is really meant for me because I am very afraid of death. So this is the only yoga which can promise me <laughs> physical immortality. It, it doesn't come like that. There is a lot of things to be done inside. It is the psychic consciousness which has to grow first. If it doesn't grow, if the baby doesn't learn to walk, it's a paralyzed child. So, as it grows, the mind begins to turn towards its own source. It begins to question, who am I? Why am I? Where have I come from? Where am I going? The moment this happens, conscious yoga begins to, in some way, take shape. And as it happens, there are two or three possibilities which begin to affect the psychic consciousness. Not yet the being. Because again, we use this word very loosely, psychic being. And when Shirobindo was asked once, uh, not, uh, is there a soul in everybody? Shirobindo says, sometimes I have to also take it by faith. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this little spark has to become a flame, an organized, conscious individuality, the divine individual within, when we can really use the word being. It's not a being for a long time. When it becomes a being, all its experience on earthly life are finished. There is no further experience left. Its kindergarten, high school is over, passed in flying colors. Now, if the psychic being wants, it can withdraw. That's what traditional yoga is about. The moment the consciousness which is in the body, which has evolved out of itself life and mind and higher levels of mind, begins to turn towards its source, it can, by the very power of turning towards its source, go into an inward concentration 
withdraw itself entirely from the surface, from the physical consciousness, from the sensible world of things and people and beings and take a plunge into the glad divine abyss, as Shirobindo would call it, and out it goes. It doesn't need any more schooling. It's a very natural process. One should not, it's not that, you know, uh, this way or that way. The moment it has received all the necessary experience, the psychic consciousness is developed, it has this option. There is another option. Beyond mind and deeper than the surface, there are hidden possibilities in the body which the psychic consciousness can explore. Thank you. Which the psychic consciousness can explore and develop from within the body. The first possibility of withdrawing from the body is the process Vedanta has explored till date. The consciousness turning upon itself, withdrawing from the surface and out. No more experience required. But there is another line opened by Tantra. It says, well, there are other bodies more suitable for this divine inhabitant. What are those other bodies, other possibilities that may begin to emerge? Shabindo speaks about it very, very beautifully in several places. But some of the places, a love that was a close and thrilled identity. A passing thought inspired the passing act. Our daily thoughts climb towards the sun. This kind of a change begins to take place. Inner powers begin to emerge. What are these powers asleep in nature's heart? A sense, a touch that needs not hands to clasp to feel. There are senses behind the outer senses. There are senses which don't need this instrumentality. Uh, it happens sometimes with people who have actually lost one function of one of the senses. Precisely because there are deeper possibilities in the body, other senses can develop and substitute the function of these senses. Because there are deeper possibilities and they begin to emerge as the psychic consciousness. If it chooses to stay on, another line of evolutionary journey can start the, the deeper possibilities of life where one can feel without necessarily interacting, where one can know without necessarily reading a book. Shrivinda says, a wide God knowledge pours from above. A wide world knowledge widens from within. It begins to happen very naturally, very spontaneously. One does not need to go through the informational technology. One has at one's disposal the other technology which informs the information through which all information is born, which, which is the birthplace of all the processes. There is a very beautiful line again in one of the Upanishads. Yan mansa namanute yena gurmanomata tadeva brahman vidhi nedam yadidam upasate That which the mind cannot know, but that by which the mind itself is born, know that to be the supreme reality and not this that men seek hereafter several shades of meaning to this expression but essentially we begin to know without the use of the mind we begin to burst beyond the limited consciousness of the ego and at its extreme you know it's so fascinating journey we speak about the fascinating inventions of science if we just once listen to what Shirobindo is telling us 
what fascinating changes can take place. In one of his poems, The Cosmic Man, he describes this kind of inner technology, this inner change that can, that can happen when we burst beyond the limits of our individual shell of the ego, the individual consciousness. He says, I have wrapped the wide world in my wider self. London and Paris and Tokyo and New York and Seattle. My spirits seen are. How beautiful this would be a state. My spirits seen are. Man's countless misdeeds and few good deeds. Shogindu's lines take place within my lonely breast. I am the bird, I am the beast, he slays, the bird he feeds and saves. The sorrows of a millions takes within my single heart. So this is the kind of expansion that can take in place. The body consciousness itself, it's not that some, it's, it's the inner possibility of the body which Tantra has explored. But even that is incomplete, Shurinda says. That is breaking from the individual ignorance, entering into the world of cosmic ignorance. And this gross matter, still there is a disparity between this inner being and this gross matter which continues to resist or limit. It's like a cage which still begins, limits the human in us, still limits the divine. And therefore, great tantrics who have, very few who have realized these possibilities, have yet chosen ultimately the path of escape. Because at some point one begins to see that even this is a state of cosmic ignorance. It's not the utter blaze of truth. It's not the final truth. It's not the imperative. Yesterday we had a very beautiful term. It's not that which is manifesting, but something lesser than that, though something much greater than this. So it's like an intermediary zone. I was speaking about the meeting point of science and technology and yoga. This is the meeting point. The meeting point is in the technology of the inner being. Today we are playing only with material energies. The moment science begins to discover the powers of the life energy, inner life, the powers of the mind energy, inner mind, the power of thought over matter, in the true sense, not just as you know, some books written on that, the, the inner powers which are asleep in matter, when they begin to awake, that is the meeting point and a very dangerous meeting point because that would mean powers and capacities which could literally blow up the entire universe but also powers and capacities which could make life so much more different and so much more beautiful. That is a passage which sooner or later science would be entering. Uh, God is guarding that passage I am sure because he had already foreseen, Shurabindu says, uh, a scientist blew out before God had time to shout. So he knew about it, that scientists could blow the world before God had time to shout. So we need not worry our heads over that, I'm sure. So what is regarded of us? What is the level next? These possibilities have already been tried out. We know the cross possibilities of the body. We all live it to some extent. Uh, we know the possibilities, subtler possibilities, which by certain kinds of yoga can awaken in the body. But there is still greater possibility beyond the spiritual, the supramental being. Uh, this is a term which we use very, very loosely and I think it's best left untouched. 
there is a line of Shervindam where he says, all time became a single body, space, all space became a single body, time a single book. And where can we claim to have that kind of consciousness? It's the consciousness where there is no mixture, it is the pure shadowless light. That consciousness, that consciousness can awaken right here while we are grounded in matter, while we are right here. It's not, uh, you know, it, it, is, it has so far been in the inaccessible regions and the only way to get there was for the psychic consciousness to withdraw from this earthly existence and pass through that, which is called as the gates of the sun, beyond which if one passes, one never returns. And there is a very interesting story of Shurabindu with regard to that, a, a famous saint in Bangladesh uh, who uh, once one of his disciples asked him about Shurabindu and he said, he scolded his disciple, he says, you fool who is all the time busy rolling in the mud and mire, you dare take Shurabindu's name on your tongue? I have seen him cross those gates going beyond which no one returns. When this matter was reported to Sri Aurobindo, of course this conversation took place in very crude Bengali, and will not repeat it. So, when this matter was reported to Sri Aurobindo, he said, yes, yes, indeed, he saw me go, but he didn't see me come back. <laughs> Can we imagine that consciousness? Can we even conceptualize, visualize that supramental truth, that consciousness? That consciousness is also hidden in matter, just like life and mind and higher ranges of mind, the powers to heal, the powers to feel, uh, without hands, to clasp and intimate seeing, all these are hidden in matter. So also this deeper power, which can entirely change our physical world, which can entirely change our thoughts, release our thoughts from time dulls yoke, and turn them into bright and luminous steeds of heaven. If one were to speak in a Vedic image, these thoughts can become brilliant solar flares of light crossing the human night, like the star scripts in the darkness of the firmaments. That's what it can do to our thoughts. What can happen to our feelings by the very touch of that? Heart can widen beyond the limits, not only of our individual families, but psychological families and emotional families and God knows what families and the human family and all kinds of family and utter oneness. That is the kind of change Shurabindu wants to bring about, not just in a thought or a system of philosophy. He is not giving an intellectual system of philosophy. Shurabindu never liked himself to be identified as a philosopher. He said, poet, yes, revolutionary, definitely, but not not so much a philosopher, though we have made a philosophy out of him. That's okay, we do this. God takes millions of years to evolve matter into man and further <coughs> towards his own image. And we as human beings take a few minutes to change God into our image. It's a constant interaction. It's a very beautiful relation. Now how would this change happens? What are we to do? This is the important question. Because when we speak about the transformation of matter, the evolution into the supramental, we immediately have a vague idea of something to do with the cells and cellular consciousness. 
And if we just honestly ask ourselves, we use these terms, have any of us really experienced the cellular consciousness? Have we really experienced the supramental consciousness? Have we really experienced even the inner being? And Shabita says, going deep within, by that I do not mean going a few inches deep within. <laughs> so, uh, we, we, we uh, like to use terms because, you know, it, it lends feeling key, okay, sense of control, I can you know, talk about cellular consciousness. Mother asked someone, when, when, when the person spoke about cellular consciousness, he said, what cellular consciousness? What do you mean by consciousness of the cells? Uh, this is where we have to question ourselves. This is sincerity. Do I really understand? If I don't, fine. Have I experienced the cellular consciousness? What really is meant by this transportation of matter? What do we have to do? We cannot bypass this journey of psychic change. It is the psychic being which grows and as it grows, it awakens the supramental response or the possibility with the body. It's a very simple thing. And that is something easy to understand and accessible to us. That's what the Buddha says, it is the psychic being which will materialize the sovereignty. It is this, it is the one who is growing and by its growth makes the body evolve. We cannot say that it's not necessary, mind, vital, nothing is necessary, it's only the body. And what is the body? Minus the thoughts and feelings, set of material processes. As this psychic grows and aspires, this fire begins to, we stain the body, we don't aspire for escape. But while being in the body, we aspire for the infinite to invade the finite base of our existence. We seek this alienation that come, you invade us with all your power and might. Break and shatter if that be the case. Or change and transform or make us ready. This aspiration, this fire is what brings down the reign of God's bounty. It is this fire which awakens the supramental consciousness in matter. Earlier, prior to this, this was not possible. Shurabindo has opened the doors of this possibility. Man can aspire, he can escape, that possibility was already there. He could take out the possibilities which were, uh, you know, which the tantrics could you know, do, do. But now the new possibility, he can continue to aspire and transmute this finite stuff into infinites. All ocean lived within a wandering drop. That is the possibility which opens before us. How to do it? By constantly living here in the psychic, aspiring, aspiring, aspiring for that to come and grow and take possession of our breath and speech and act and feelings and emotions and passion and impulse and sense and the body cells. This is the way. What other way? Very simple. They have left such beautiful ways for the material transformation, sometimes which we just fail to omit, fail to uh, see. We read so many books under the sun. And the mother has something very interesting to say about Shirobindo's works, which applies equally to her words, because the, she says that my words are not a teaching, but a force in action. So, what does she say? If you read the words, in state of quietude, these words do the work of transformation. They change the brain cells. These are not words. These are, I mean, so simple and direct. Merely reading Shurabinda and the mother, we spend so much time in reading so many things. If we really read it in a state of quietude, we begin to 
change, the transformation, the most physical level. He speaks about the change in the brain cells, which are the forerunners of other changes which can take place. And power of the sound, Savitri, such simple methods and means which, which because they directly relate to our body consciousness, to our sensible cognate experience. They have brought it down right up to mother's music. What was she doing? It was not just a cult or another, you know, kind of. She said, I am bringing down the higher consciousness and it is made accessible to us. And it's there. It can do its work of change, provided we learn how to open and receive in the right way. Everything has been provided. We just have to open with this aspiration and very concrete material aids are there which can hasten the process of transformation. Very, very simple, very, very direct. Uh, rather than going into some kind of very complicated processes. This is the path of the evolutionary transmutation of the body. And uh, it's a long journey. We should not fear losing our rational faculties because each evolutionary leap, if we look at it, is characterized by the loss of that which is most important to the previous level of evolution. It's almost the rule. The fish loses its capacity to breathe in water and becomes a creature of the land. The bird, the snake, the reptile loses the many legs and the graceful crawl when it begins to fly. Strangely, the bird loses its wings when it falls to the ground but begins to run and conquer the plains of the world. And interestingly, the animal, the ape, begins to lose its claws and its most favorite tail. I'm sure macaws take a lot of pride in their tails. Maybe they attract the other species by the tail. For all you know, they may have a tail cult. <laughs> the religion of the tails. Who has the better tail, the brighter tail, the longer tail? A classification. Human beings have to classify. So some kind of animals also classify based on the oh this is that variety of macaw. He comes from Africa. Oh this is the American ape. Oh this Indian ape. Look at the tail. So the divine says oh very nice. This tail is the problem. Here goes the tail. The ape loses its tail and becomes a man. Very insecure when the first man would have come. Very, very insecure. The huge bear, the, the rapidly and swiftly running monkey, the strong lion and the slithering snake, everything was a much better than what it was. It had nothing to defend itself with, no claws, the teeth were losing its grip. All that it had was to pick up some stones, little intelligence, which it didn't know what it was. And he used the stone sometimes to write some cave paintings. And if accidentally the stone fell down, he said, oh, this is music. <laughs> <laughs> and all that had to end up with Karnadi. Could he imagine the very first human beings that one day this dropping of the stone will lead to this phenomenon? <laughs> so we should not be worried about losing the hat. You want to hold it securely, divine wants to take it away. That is the problem. We have our limits, divine wants to break it. We want to cling to the shores and the shores recede or a tsunami comes and we find ourselves shoreless, borne by some nothing else but faith. 
It's a journey of faith and it's a journey of fire and it's a journey of courage. It's a story of aspiration. It takes time. The, the supramental world is not built in 50 years or 100 years. And we should be prepared that if it takes 10,000 years, this is what gives sense to my life. This is the thing to be done, otherwise what is there anyways in life? Even if one were to have everything, what is the sense of it all? This is the fire that brings the supramental consciousness and awakens it within the body. Our body cells must hold the immortal's flame. And as it happens, okay, sorry, we can end up with that beautiful poem of Shirobindo. What is that end of the journey? Uh, one of at least my favorites. So we can end with that. What would be this end of this road? What kind of change is time to create? Not the ability to write beautiful books, not the ability to write, you know, to, as beautifully Karnadi was saying yesterday, to walk with another robe of vanity and shut ourselves in, uh, you know, a great intellectual pride. But something else, what happens to us when the supramental change takes place? Shobindo has spoken about it in very beautiful ways. Thy golden light came down into my brain. The grey rooms of my mind, sun dust became. Grey rooms, there is an authentic knowledge which awakens from within. The truth seeing, the truth hearing, there is no mixture. So the grey rooms of my mind, sun dust became. A calm reply to wisdom's occult plane, a bright illumination. A bright reply to wisdom's occult plane, a calm illumination and a flame. Thy golden light came down into my throat. And all my speech is now a song divine, a pain song of thee. My single note, my words are drunk with the immortal's wine. The golden light came down into my heart, smiting my life with thy eternity. Now has it grown a temple where only thou art and all its passions pointed towards only thee. The golden light came down into my feet. My earth is now thy playfield and thy seat. Thank you.